Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We finished up our series last week called The War for Joy. And uh, this week, we just sort of have, have uh, what we refer to in the office as a standalone sermon. Uh, it's one that's not part of a series. But I just want us to look at one verse, and I want us to back up and look at some other verses as well. So in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Peter writes these words, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Father, we we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks that we can gather together, that we can worship, that we can read your word, that we can hear your word, that we can be transformed by the power of your word. And so, Father, we pray that you would do just that this morning, that you would be honored by the reading, the hearing, the application, the preaching of your word. And Father, we pray that you might use it to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen. When you look at this passage in 1 Peter, you look at this one verse, verse 13, if you look at it outside of its context, you might be tempted to make it say some things that it doesn't say, or you might be tempted to apply it in some way that it's not meant to be applied because that first word in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 is therefore. And there's the old saying, at least in seminary, when you read the Bible and you find a therefore, you need to stop and figure out what it's there for. And one of the primary, if not the primary thing that we have to remember whenever we are interpreting any sort of verse, any sort of biblical text is this. Three things, you've heard me say them so many times before, three things to bear in mind. Context, context, context. It's like uh, real estate. We talk about three most important things, location, location, location. The most important things, the three most important things when you're reading God's word and understanding it or to understand it is context, context, context. You have to know what the context of the verse is in the passage, know what the context of the passage is in the chapter, know what the, pa- the context of the chapter is in the book and know what the context of that book of the Bible is in the whole narrative of the Bible itself. So we're not going to back up all that far, but I do want us to just at least understand what the context is in this book in 1 Peter. The therefore is referring to everything he's talked about before, and he has just gone into a long explanation about salvation, about our salvation, about his reader's salvation. And he's saying, in light of this great salvation that God has given you, these are the things that you need to do. This is your response because of salvation. If you look back in chapter 1, we'll start with verse 3. Peter writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we, I want to interrupt myself here. Uh, as we're going through this, look at the number of times that he talks about salvation directly or he references some sort of characteristic of our salvation. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So God is the one who has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So now Peter says that we have salvation, we have a salvation that's guarded, that's kept, that we are guarded and kept, and that God has given us the salvation, he's given us a new life, and now God is guarding that new life. Verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That salvation is an enduring salvation. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of persecution, Peter says, your salvation will hold up. If you are truly in the faith, you will bear it. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That our salvation is based upon faith. Our salvation is based upon understanding, not by sight, but because God says so, that we receive the word of God and we respond to him in the right way. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully in, in inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he preached the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them they were serving not themselves but you. So he says, even the prophets were curious to know what is going on with this salvation. What manner of person, how, how is God going to accomplish this great salvation that he's promising? And the, the prophets in the Old Testament were searching the scripture that they themselves were writing, asking and searching and looking and trying to figure out what is the mystery of this salvation that is being promised by God. It's such a great salvation. And then he continues in verse 12. In the, th in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good to you, news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. We'll talk about that last phrase in a couple of, uh, couple of minutes. But Peter has gone through and he has lined out how incredible the salvation is that we have in Jesus. He has lined out how God has given us the salvation, how God is upholding our salvation. He has lined out for us how the prophets were curious about what does this salvation mean? What are the details? He's explained how this salvation is so mind-blowing that even the angels desire to understand the details involving their salvation. So, so many times when we think about salvation, we think about this, I'm saved, I'm going to go to heaven, that's it. Well, there's so much more to that. We've talked about this in sermons past. We said that whenever you are saved, you are born again. You are regenerated. You have a new life. You have gone from death to life. And so now you live a life in Christ. 
We've said that you've been reconciled. You've been brought into a right relationship with God. You were estranged from God, separated from God, an enemy of God before salvation, and you are reconciled to him. We've talked about how we're redeemed, how we are purchased out of the slave market of sin. We are set free from the slavery of sin, and now we are bought by Christ's blood, and now we are his possession. We belong to him. We are slaves to Christ. We said that we are justified. We are declared not guilty. When God sees us in Christ, he sees us as though we have never sinned before. We said that we're being sanctified. We are set apart for God's purpose, and we are being gradually, progressively transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ as we surrender our lives to him. And then we said, finally, as Peter has mentioned here, we're going to be glorified. The day is going to come that everything will be set right and we will be in perfect relationship with God in an eternal home in heaven with him without sin. And we'll be able to enjoy him and give him glory perfectly for all eternity. Those are all things and there are so many more, but those are all the things that happen because of our salvation. And those are all part and parcel of our salvation. So therefore with this incredible incredible explanation that Peter gives about what happens to us when we are saved and how we are saved and how God provided salvation in Jesus and how God bears us up through that salvation. Then Peter can say there in verse 13, therefore, because of all of that, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let's just take a moment, look at this one verse, and I want us to look at the application of everything that's gone before. Because of salvation, because we are saved, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, because of your salvation, these are the things that we are to do. And the first one that he says is, you're to prepare your mind. Prepare your mind. Prepare your mind for what's ahead. Prepare your mind for obedience. Prepare your mind to live out that salvation. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. So prepare your mind. Some translations say, gird up your mind. The word is found multiple times in the Bible, or at least the idea is found. The, The word is found, the idea is found as well. If you go back into the Old Testament, now it's not the same word because the Old Testament's written in Hebrew and the New Testament's written in Greek and Aramaic, but if you go back to the Old Testament, you find there, there's an instance where someone girds themselves up. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 46, my favorite Old Testament character, uh, the person of Elijah, and it says in 1 Kings 18, 46, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. He's just had a, a, a showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And he has then, after that, he proclaims an end to the drought that rain is coming. And it says that Elijah gathers up his garment. Some translations say he girded himself up. What does that mean? Well, if, if, uh, if you've ever looked at depictions... I know we don't have photographs, but if you ever look at depictions of the ancient world, or if you, if you see some of the, the modern-day Bedouins who live in the area, they, they dress in a, a long, it looks like a long robe, a long flowing robe. It helps to kind of uh, keep them cool. I know you say, why on earth would anybody wear that 
that long robe? Well, it also conserves a little bit of moisture against their skin to keep them from just totally and completely just their skin completely drying out. And so you find that they were in these desert regions, they were these long kind of flowing robes. And the problem is, if you needed to move fast, that was going to pose a hindrance to you. So what you would do is you would, you would reach down and you would grab down toward your ankles, you would grab the ends of that robe from the, the backside of that robe and you would bring it up, you'd pull it up and you could wrap it around you and tie it or you could tuck it in your belt. And you would just sort of gather it up around your legs so that you were not impeded in your travel. Uh, this is one of the things they would do oftentimes when they would go into battle as well. Because those loose ends of the garment, someone could grab hold of the end of your, of your garment and they could pull you into a sword. It's one of the things that whenever I was uh, up in Knoxville and I was taking a martial arts class, uh, you, wanted to, you wanted to make sure that uh, your, your jacket, your gi top, we called it, we, you had to make sure that it was tied down real tight, your belt was tight and everything, because we always talked about a loose end is a liability. If you got any sort of loose end out there, somebody can grab hold of, they can get a hold of you and they can do you great harm. And so you find that in this time, if you had to move fast, if you had to go to battle, if you had to do anything like that, you would gird up yourself. You would tuck in all the loose ends so that it would not impose any sort of danger to you. But at the same time, you were able to move fast. And so here Peter says, you're to tuck in the loose ends of your mind. You are to take your thoughts and tuck them in. You were to take how you perceive things. You were to take it and you were to tuck it in. You were to make sure you don't have loose ends of your thinking flowing around. We, I don't think any of us in this room are unaware of all the events over the last few days. And we are so thankful that we see that there is a, there is a writing of a very long wrong uh, with Roe v. Wade being uh, done away with. Uh, and I've, I've had people online kind of contact me, and some of you saw the thing I posted on Instagram the other day. Uh, some, had some people contact me, and they said, well, that's just sad that we've lost a constitutional right. And I just, my response was, it's not a true right if God says it's always wrong. It's not a right, all right? Uh, we're, we're talking about legalized murder. It's not a right. It's not a right. But it has, it has blown my mind looking at a lot of the response that we have people. I've never seen a group of people so angry they can't kill babies. I've never, seen, I've never seen anything like it. But I was reminded of Romans chapter 1. And I went back and I was reading Romans chapter 1 uh, just yesterday. And, and listen to Romans 1. This is not in your outline, but Romans chapter 1. Uh, this is verse 20. For his, that's God's, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Everything that we need to know about God to know there is a God has been clearly revealed. But listen to what happens. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's what you see. You, you see, when your mind is not tucked into the truth, when you've got loose ends of your mind that are not governed by the word of God, then you are left to your own opinion, your own perception, your own preferences, and that is going to lead you away from God. No one just stumbles into the truth. It has to be governed. We have to tuck in the loose ends of our mind. And when you find a culture and a society, and we're, we're thankful, I am so thankful 
that there are children who are going to be alive today who otherwise would not have been. Absolutely. But we also have to understand our nation needs our prayers because this legislation, it's, it's still not a change of heart. There, if anything, this has exposed just the depth of the futility of thinking. Our nation needs Christ. Our nation needs God to do a work because our nation as a whole has gone into this futility of thought. And God continues, if you, if you read the rest of Romans 1, it talks about how God just gives people over to a debased mind. He gives them over because their mind isn't set upon him. And so God just turns them over to their own thoughts and lets the consequence of their actions just bear fruit. And we see that over and over again. That when, when you separate yourself from the truth of the word of God, it does not just make you ignorant of the word of God. You, you just don't get more, more not knowing, right? And that, that word ignorant, literally not knowing. You just, you just don't get become more ignorant of it. You actually become more evil. When you separate yourself from the truth of the word of God, it's not... It's not a, a, something to be taken lightly. It will surely lead somewhere, and it will lead away from the Word of God. And away from the Word of God, there's only one direction, that's toward evil. That is why it's so important that we prepare our minds, that we bathe our minds in the Word of God, that we saturate our minds with the Word of God, that we depend upon the Word of God, that all of our loose ends of our thinking is tucked into the Word of God. And so many times we talk to people, I talk to people and I'll, I'll sit down and talk to them. They'll say, I want to come talk to you about a particular thing. And they sit and they start talking and they'll say, well, I believe this and this and this. And I'm like, yeah, but the word of God says this. And they're like, I don't care what the word of God says. I, I have my preferences and my opinions and my ideas. And that's the way I live. And I'm thinking, well, that's why we are in the position where we're in. That's why we're having this talk. We have to rely on the word of God to prepare our minds, to gird up our minds. Ephesians chapter six, verse 14 Paul writes, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness. The belt of truth. The belt is that one thing that, that tied all the armor together. The, the belt is the one thing that held all the parts of your clothing together. And so he's saying you gird your waist, you gird yourself in truth, you wrap the truth around yourself. And then what do you do? You take the loose ends of your mind and you tuck them into the truth. You rely upon the truth to govern how you think. You rely upon the truth of God's word to be the lens through which you view reality. If we are viewing reality through anything else other than primarily the word of God, we will be led astray. We will have a, a wrong view, a twisted, skewed, tainted view of reality if we view reality through anything other than the lens of the word of God. So Peter says, in light of the great salvation that we have been given, we are to prepare our minds. Secondly, steady your spirit. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. And you say, well, I don't see anything about spirit in there. The word sober-minded literally means to be steadfast, to be steady in your spirit. That's what it literally means to be steady in spirit. In your inner life, not just your thoughts, but in everything concerning your inner life, to be steady, to be firmly fixed, to be founded upon something. We're to have a steady spirit. 
that you find in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Same word is used a little later on in 1 Peter. Be sober-minded. There it is. Be steady in spirit. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So why are we to be steady in spirit? Because Satan is still roaming around. Satan is still trying to disrupt your life. Satan is still trying to disrupt the plan of God. Satan is still in operation today. So we can't afford to say, oh, it's okay. Well, I'm saved now. I'm not going to face any struggles. I'm saved now. I'm not going to face any opposition. I'm, I'm saved now. Satan's going to leave me alone. Are you kidding? The battle has just begun. He is just warming up. So we're to be steady in spirit because Satan roams around seeking one that he can devour. We're to be steady in spirit because the time is short. First Peter chapter four, verse seven, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. We have to understand that eternity is long. Prayer is powerful. And because eternity is coming and the end is near and time is short, we have to be sober-minded. We have to be steady in spirit and we have to be steady in spirit so that we'll think the right way, so that we'll pray the right way. We have to be founded upon the reality of what God says is truly reality. And when we talk about time being short, there was a young lady I taught one time in a Bible class, and she spoke up when I was teaching school, and she spoke up, and she said, yeah, but uh, Peter says here, the end of all things is at hand. That was a long time ago he wrote that. That was a really long time ago. And Peter thought it could happen at any moment. I said, okay, what's your point? She said, well, Peter was wrong. It wasn't, it wasn't that close. And I said, well, in the grand scheme of things, it, it really is. And she said, yeah, but I mean, I mean, do, do you think Jesus come back today? I said, well, he could. And she, she said, well, I mean, but he's saying the end of all things is at hand. And I said, well, how, how long do you, how do you think God perceives time, right? Day is like a thousand years. I said, well, well I mean, how do you, how do you think? I mean, you know, in God's economy, it is. I mean, you know, he sees equally with equal clarity, the past, the present, the future. It's all seen with equal clarity to him. And I said, but I can tell you one thing. Today, we are one day closer than we were yesterday. And the day is going to come that it will be the day. So the end of all things is at hand. The outworking of all things. The beginning of the end. And so we find that, that God is going to come back and we can set our steady, our spirit by understanding that. And we can have powerful prayer understanding that. You, you, ever, you ever start praying and you don't know what to pray? You start praying and you're just all over the place. And you pray this and then one moment you're praying that and then you're here and then you're there. And you just, you just don't seem to be able to focus your thoughts. And I've talked to people and they say, I just get really frustrated. I have a hard time, have a hard time focusing like that. Uh, sometimes uh, I'll write out my prayers. I'll write them out because it slows me down. It'll slow down my thinking and it'll slow down, you know, the words as they come. And I know some of you on Sunday mornings, you're like, yeah, you need to slow down your words because it's like, you know, it's like, it's like we're on the bullet train, the verbal bullet train, whenever you get started. I understand that. You just have to listen faster. But sometimes I write down those prayers. I'll write them down. And, and, also, I'll find this. Sometimes when I feel so scattered when I'm praying, do you know what I find one of the remedies is? Just keep praying. Just keep praying. And I'll just keep praying. And then, eventually, given a little bit of time, God just sort of gets me focused on, this is, this is what I want you to pray on. 
This is what I want you to pray about. I use God's word so many times to pray. Sometimes if I don't know what to pray, I'll, f- I'll find a book of the Bible and I'll just start reading through. I'll just start thanking God for things that I see in God's word. Or I'll start praying specific things for people I know from God's word. But you, we need to steady our spirits because of the great salvation that we've been given. How steady is your spirit? I know recent, recent days in culture, everything seems to be in, in upheaval. And no matter where you look, everything is just... Can I just tell you, in the midst of all that cultural and societal upheaval, you can still have a steady spirit. You can gird your mind, you can prepare your mind for action, and you can have a steady spirit even in the midst of all the turmoil that may be going on, depending upon God and recognizing the great salvation that you've been given in Christ that won't be shaken. You find in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul writes, but since we belong to the day, that is, we are no longer uh, citizens of the night, we belong to the day, we have been given new life in Christ, let us, there it is, be sober, steady in spirit, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and that for, hel- for a helmet, the hope of salvation. There he is, r- linking the idea of being steady in spirit to salvation yet again. And so we find we are to prepare our minds, we are to be steady in spirit, and then finally, we are to fix our hope. Look at the last part, the last phrase in 1 Peter 1.13. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are to fix our hope. And you've heard me say it, I don't know how many times, our working definition for hope. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not uh, kind of wringing our hands and, and, and waiting for the chance to occur that something might uh, come to fruition. No, hope is a confident and favorable expectation of a future reality. It's confident and it's favorable. It's going to happen and it's going to be good and it will become a reality. But it's not here yet. It's a future reality. A confident and favorable expectation of a future reality. That's the idea of biblical hope. And we are to set our confident and favorable, uh, our confident and favorable expectation of this future reality. We are to set it upon the grace that is to be brought to us when Jesus returns and sets all things right. We are to fix our hope. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. We just looked at this a little bit earlier, but I want to revisit this. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. You have a living hope. You have a living, confident and favorable expectation of a future reality. It is alive. It is something that is going to come to fruition it's going to mature it's going to grow you're going to see it if you're a follower of christ you're going to see it in all of its splendor and all of its maturity whenever we are in the presence of jesus that hope will be realized fully and it's such an amazing hope you find that he mentions that in first peter 1 3 through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead and then a little bit later in first peter 1 12 He writes, and we referenced this earlier, these are things into which angels long to look. And you say, what does that have anything to do with anything? Things that angels long to look. What? It means that angels, they're not, they they don't receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. They don't repent of their sins and receive salvation. 
But angels are seeing the plan of salvation from all eternity being worked out, and they look into it. They're amazed by it. They give God glory because of it. The other day, um, I was, I, I don't guess I'd ever looked it up. Out of curiosity, I looked at that phrase, things into which angels long to look. And just out of curiosity, I just looked it up. What does that mean? I mean, exactly, what does that mean? And it's a very specific word. It means to look at something while stooping and to look at it sideways. To look at something sideways while stooping. And you say, what? You ever been out somewhere and uh, you're walking along and you see something on the ground and you stop and you kind of turn your head sideways and you kind of bend over and you kind of look at it, trying to figure out what it is. You look real carefully at it. That's the word. And you say, well, that's great to know. So angels desire to, to bend down and, and, and look at it. It's used a few other places in the New Testament. This is what blew my mind. It blew my mind so much so that I ran into Robert's office and I said, Robert, 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 listen to this. And he said, okay. And I said, no, 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 this is so exciting. And, uh, and he, he eventually shared my excitement. But anyway, um, no, he, it was great. But one of, the thing, one of the ways we find it used is in reference to Peter. Back in the Gospels, where it says that Peter and John go to the tomb of Jesus after his resurrection. And it says they stooped and looked into the tomb. It's the same word, to bend down and look sideways. It's the same word that's used when Mary goes to the tomb and stoops down and looks sideways into the tomb and sees the angels who tell her he's not here. And so here we have Peter writing this phrase that the angels desire to stoop and look into it, this great salvation they're trying to get their heads around and we find in the Gospels, that's exactly what was said of Peter. It says that he, he stoops and looks down in the tomb and he went away marveling. The angels look carefully into the salvation and they marvel as well. And I find it interesting that here's Mary stooping and looking down in the tomb and the angels say he's not here. And now the roles get reversed and the angels look at the plan of salvation and they stoop and look down and say, what a God. What a, what a Christ. What a Messiah. What an incredible plan of salvation. So we find that it's all intertwined, that, that we are to understand we can fix our hope. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We can look carefully, deeply into these things and be marveled by them and look at them and give God glory and honor and praise for the greatness of the salvation that he has given to us. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, Titus writes, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And then Titus 2, 13, waiting for our blessed the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can wait well while we're waiting on Jesus because we have our hope fixed upon him. We have our confident and favorable expectation of a future reality fixed upon the future that we are going to have, we are going to have with Jesus, but also 
what Jesus has already fully accomplished in our salvation. So we can fix our hope. Society can crumble around us. We can still fix our hope. All sorts of things can befall us. We can still fix our hope. We can have a hope that is firmly fixed upon something, someone who is unshakable, who is unchangeable, who's not going to desert us, who's not going to leave us, who's not going to forget us, who holds us in the palm of his hand and who gave his life for us. We can fix our hope. You find in Romans chapter 5 verse 2, Paul writes, through him, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. By the grace of God, by his grace, we are given salvation. By his grace, we can have hope. Do you have that kind of hope? Do you, do you fix your hope? Or are there things that, that try to draw your eye? For all of us, it's true. There are things that draw our eye or draw our attention, draw our hearts, draw our minds away from the hope that is found alone in Christ. Don't let them draw you away. Fix your hope upon Christ. But only fix your hope upon Christ. Let others know why your hope is fixed upon Christ. How can you navigate this world in such a way? How can you navigate it in a way with your, with your mind prepared, with your spirit steadied, and with your hope fixed, only through Jesus. And that is the only hope for our world. It's the only hope we have. He is our blessed hope. This is not the end. He's going to return. This isn't it. He's going to make it right. This isn't our, our final destination. This isn't our, the final way we're going to be, we ourselves. He's going to change all who are his into his likeness perfectly and we will see him as he is. We will know him as he is. And we will give him glory and honor and praise for all eternity. All because of salvation. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for salvation. It's found in Christ. Father, there may be people here this morning that would say, I don't have that hope. My spirit is not steady. My mind's not prepared because I've, I've never surrendered my life, my heart, my mind, I've never surrendered all of myself to Christ. Father, I pray today would be the day that many would make that decision. God, so often we look at salvation as just something that's out there somewhere that we'll know later or something that happened in the past that now we just live however we want, and we're just sort of in your waiting room. Neither of those is a full biblical picture of salvation. <laughs> Father, you've given us new life, and now we live that life by the power of Christ. You give our minds a, a new focus. You give our spirits a foundation. You give, you give our hope the understanding that we are fixing our hope completely and totally upon Jesus alone by faith because of the great grace that you've shown us. And Jesus came and lived a sinless life and died in our place, a cross we each deserved. And he died in our place so that we might know you. If we surrender our lives to Christ, receive forgiveness for our sins, 
then we will be made new in Christ. Father, we're thankful for that reality. We're thankful for such a great salvation that you've given to us. Father, we're thankful for that great sacrifice. Father, may we, we never take that lightly. May we never, ever take that as a light thing. And we ask now, Father, if for those who, who do know Christ here, or maybe those who are watching or listening now or later who already know Christ, maybe today is a day that they just need to allow you to prepare their minds for action, to tuck in all those loose ends, that, that their spirits need to be steady, that their hope must be fixed upon Christ. Father, I pray today would be the day that you would do just that in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, so that we might understand the depth, the riches, the greatness of the salvation that you have given us, and that we might live accordingly. And so, Father, we give ourselves to you during this time of, of response. Father, if there's any decision that needs to be made, I pray that you might give the courage and the boldness to make that decision. Whatever it is, whether it's a prayer concern or someone in, in need of salvation, whether someone wanting to join the church, be baptized, whatever it is, whatever, whatever it is that you're doing in hearts this morning, Father, we pray that anybody who is, uh, who is meeting with you in this moment, in their heart and mind, that they would respond as you are calling them to respond. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.